Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. How are you? Very well, Peter. How are you? Yeah, I can't complain. Autumn is definitely here now, isn't it? First few frosty mornings have come through. The leaves are lovely at the moment. I, so looking out across the uh, the view from my house and seeing all the yellow and starting sort of reds, it's just glorious this time of the year, isn't it? It's a bit of a pain sweeping up all the leaves, but never-ending job as, as yeah. we know, isn't it? But uh, I've got I've invested in a new toy. Uh, oh I've got, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a, a vacuum cleaner now, which mulches it lifts all the leaves up and it mulches and I can put that on my compost heap so Excellent. I thought I'd do something for the environment um, and hopefully uh, it's going to save a bit, a bit of time as well <laughs> well it's so much easier using mechanical things isn't it they, mm. I mean yeah, it, it, they're a bit more expensive than a rake but they definitely yep. do I mean, we've got one here a Greenworks battery powered mm. one at the garden centre and I used that the other day and other than when you sweep up the dust which is not a good thing you just <laughs> get course, clouds no. of dust coming no. out of these things but Indeed, yes. they are they are amazing for helping with the leaves and yeah. sorting things out and as we've been chatting in previous podcasts about using leaf mold i thought i'd better be uh, be a professional of my advice and do do my own bit of uh, leaf mold production so i'm i'm into, into into one and a half compost bins full of, of leaves which i've put some wow compost activator on i've done everything by the book okay so i'm, so I'm looking forward to some nice material for next spring or maybe next summer for, for using as a mulch. And can you use garotta? Is that garotta? You, yes, you, you, garotta, you, yeah. Garotta's yeah. the go-to there, is it? That's it, that's the one to use. Activator. Really. Yes, indeed. Mm. Yes. Or, a no. bit of, or a bit of dry blood, I think, is also advised too, so you can use that. So. Okay, yeah, so, cool. Yeah. Mm. So today we're talking about trees, aren't we? And sort of small trees and trees for the the modern garden yes and obviously we're into the tree planting season i mean we're, we're busy at the garden center now with trees starting to arrive bare roots and, yep. uh, and potted so it is the time to think about nature's natural planting time and uh, yes we've got a, a really great guest lined up and uh, yeah it will be a hopefully a nice chat yeah, because we've got Nick done from frank matthews trees haven't we now frank matthews trees i mean they are mm. Yeah, they're they're good. They're the they're the ones you want, aren't yeah. they? They've been at it quite a few years, and mm. um, no, I'm really looking forward to this interview. Yeah, I mean, we always we always get uh, very excited uh, at the garden centre when we get deliveries from from uh, from Frank Matthews. I think because you just know that you're going to get some real gems of trees, and they're going to be grown really well. And of course, they come with an amazing label. You know, we talk about labels. I, yep. mean, I have this thing about labels. They, you know, so many poor plants are labelled. Especially, well, so many labels yes. just don't tell you anything, yep. or they just use a generic description and generic yep. care conditions, and they're totally <laughs> unsuitable for the plant that totally. you're buying. Yes, and it's something I know. We as a garden centre have always yeah. made sure that not only do we leave the suppliers' labels on, we generally put our own on, and that has a description on yeah. what it's going to grow into, how to care for it, mm-hmm. and all of those things. And yeah, Frank Matthews labels are—they're big, they're bold, they're colourful. And they're packed with information, which is so easy to use. And uh, and for, for customers who are buying, and let's think, you know, think about it. Buying a tree is quite a it's quite a committed purchase, isn't it? You're going to be spending yeah. sixty, seventy, eighty pounds on something which is going to hopefully give you, you know, many, many years, many potentially generations of of use. So you need to get it right. And you know, a good advice label, absolutely key. And uh, yes, good old Frank Matthews ticks all the boxes. Where they're they're wonderful labels. Okay, so shall we hear from him now? Indeed. 
Hello, Nick, and uh, welcome to, to Dig It. How, how do we find you today? Oh, all good. Very well. Monday morning, uh, uh, weather's perfect, especially for lifting trees out of the ground. So, yes, we're very happy this morning. Yeah, and I suspect this uh, the weather we're having at the moment is causing a, f- a few problems for you, maybe. Well, not really. It's been quite dry, um, and although the leaf hasn't come off very easily because that's what we... Uh, benefit from is a few frosty nights we haven't had those but um, Mm -hmm. we've had dry weather and the autumn colors actually been fair considering it's usually enhanced by frost Um, I think it looks rather nice in places I don't know what it's like your end indeed yeah we've had um, we've had I think two or three nights of frost over over in in North Buckinghamshire but no it's all good so Nick perhaps we can we can sort of set set the scene for you you're a third generation of growers you've followed your father's and your grandfather's footsteps obviously there's a bit of good old chlorophyll running in those uh, good old veins Nick so can you set the scene and tell us about those those early days at the nursery at uh, at uh, Trees for Life Frank Frank P Matthews well, yes. I mean, if you wanted to go back to my grandfather's time, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is just worth um, pondering on for a little bit, um, he started in 1901. And of course, this was almost pre-machinery days, I would say. So horse and cart and manpower was very much the only way of growing trees and and, go, and going about the business in those days. Interestingly, my grandfather was quite organic in his thinking. Okay. Although they used chemicals to uh, whatever's available in those days, he was he was a great um, advocate of uh, organic matter. Mm. And one of the interesting things is because we were situated down at Heathrow, it was on the canal system, and it's well recorded that he used to bring all the horse manure out of the uh, stables in London um, to uh, in on by barge and it would be unloaded on the nursery where the canal was and it was um, transfer, uh, transferred onto the nursery by horse and cart and he had a huge amount of organic matter which he relied on to grow good quality trees. Mm. That's re- re- I mean, yes, in these days, I suppose that's even more sort of pertinent, isn't it? How we should be looking to improve our s- soil quality, especially with, I don't know, soil erosion and such like. So, yep, so that, that's, that's, yes, that's I think that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I think soil will come into some of our discussion today about mm-hmm. trees and gardens and so on, yeah. But those early days were obviously um, pioneering. Mm-hmm. Uh, from uh, and But we moved to Worcestershire on the Worcester Hereford border here in the late in the mid 50s and that was when my father brought us uh, uh, to new soil because the M4 construction in the late 50s went over the nursery land sadly at Heathrow so that was the reason why we came here and the only reason was because of the soil quality in our in our uh, the team valley which is where we're situated lovely but the but the growing technique of trees hasn't changed at all. The most important propagation techniques have not changed from, uh, since my grandfather's time. We've obviously made life a lot easier with machinery, mm-hmm. and I mean if you if you tracked the, the horsepower requirement or needs of our business over the years, we we started with um, grey Fergies, which were only about a hundred horsepower in the in the fifties, and we're now up to 
250 horsepower tractors, you know, for for doing our job and lifting the trees and so on. So we've made light of the work with machinery, but we haven't changed the, the, the grafting and budding and the propagation techniques we use. We're very similar to, to my grandfather's time. Oh, that's really good to hear. And uh, I suppose, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I suppose with, with modern sort of techniques, that, that sort of moved on as well. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, but how do you measure progress? Do you measure it in uh, horsepower or, <laughs> or do you measure it in in uh, plant plant propagation? You know, but there are some useful propagation techniques we're utilizing under glass and micropropagation and things like that these days. So there are there are some interesting uh, pro- progress. Yeah, there is some interesting progress. Yeah. yeah, so I suppose bringing your sort of story sort of up to date uh, with the evolution of the, the the growing business now. You mentioned, I mean, the likes of micropropagation. I mean, many of our podcast listeners will probably understand that term from perhaps the, the world of house plants, because obviously a lot of those are now micropropagated things like orchids. So um, just you know, on a bit of a sidetrack, I mean, how does that affect uh, your production of your, your trees? Well, funny enough, we use it in our business mostly for pro- propagating rootstocks. And the root stock is the root system of all trees, be it fruit trees or, or ornamental trees. But in, in this instance, particularly with fruit, some of the newer root stocks, which are using on the commercial side of, of the fruit industry, are um, only produced from tissue culture or micropropagation. So that's where it fits in to mm. our current uh, program. Yeah. Mm, that's really, really interesting. So, um, obviously, Frank P. Matthews Supply, goodness knows, I don't know how many UK garden centres, obviously, including us at uh, Buckingham here, with uh, ornamental fruit trees and obviously uh, fruit, fruit trees uh, for ornamental use too. But I suppose, Nick, how do you know what to grow? I mean, what's, what's the sort of process of deciding what to grow? Uh, that's a good question. We, we have a, a, a quite a dilemma in that because we're propagating two to three years before we sell trees. That's a normal cycle, production cycle of what we do. So we don't have the benefit of turning a conveyor system on and off according to demand. So we have to predict it or try and predict it as best we can. Uh, I, I actually work on the 80-20 principle that 80% of what we have always grown will probably be in demand um, in the future. And the other 20% is the challenge of, of where we go, either it's introducing new varieties, new species, what, uh, or whatever. Um, but we're, we're pretty, we're not badly um, connected to trend, I think. I could ask you that question from your business. You probably stock most of the trees you've always been able to sell because you feel that there's a good chance people will ask for those varieties. And I think we, we work very similarly. Yeah. Yes, I, I quite agree. And um, although you, you do find sort of trends, I was, I, interestingly, um, laburnum trees, I mean, back in the 1950s and 60s, but please correct me if I'm wrong, Dick, but I mean, they were incredibly mm-hmm. popular. Everybody, everybody wanted to grow a laburnum. Now, of course, they... Uh, they are available in different formats, but because of, of course, the, the issues with the, the poisonous seeds and issues with obviously young children and, and the issues of, of the whole area of plant toxicity, they've sort of gone out of favour. Um, I suppose that's a, a, an example I can sort of probably draw from. 
Yes, you're right. Um, it's it, but it's a gradual process. You don't see these things don't actually happen overnight. Occasionally, because of the ability to put for messages to go out these days instantly, we we are seeing that trends are moving faster. Everything's moving faster, and of course, that's reliant on information, which is so much better. But even so, with trees, trees are long term. Uh, you plant them for years to come, generations ahead. So I think possibly people are a little bit more discerning than we would perhaps give them credit for. Yeah. And I, I find that people who are interested in trees look very much look on the long term when they're, when they're planting. Yeah, most definitely, I, would, I totally agree there. So on, on the, the nursery, Nick, how are the trees grown? Do, does everything start effectively... Um, in the soil as a, as a, before it's containerized, Could you just sort of explain that sort of process uh, to us? Yes, of course. Yes, well, we st- when we um, came here, we only produ- ever produced trees in the soil. And that continued until about the mid-80s when we started putting trees into containers for our customers like yourself. And that was the way things moved. But to produce the trees in in pots we have to grow 50 i would think 60 percent of them start as young trees as saw in the soil and that's uh we are growing a quarter of a million trees a year in the in the field production and the majority of those will go into containers the following year to to increase their size and shape to make them presentable for people to plant in gardens as a finished tree so it's a, it's still the field production is still incredibly important. In addition to that, we have what we call a bench grafting uh, summer grafting program, where we we will graft trees onto rootstocks, bare root in the winter, on young uh, cell grown rootstocks in the summer, and these are all the difficult subjects, and that's increasing um, as we enter into a wider range of trees that are more difficult to propagate subjects. We're using uh, summer propagation in containers. And these young trees never go into the field. They'll just be potted on over two years to finish at the same size and um, availability as the bare root would have started in the field. So we're, we're mixing and matching both both um, propagation techniques and methods yes yeah that's, that certainly it certainly helps and so no notice we obviously when, when your trees arrive I mean, we always really look forward to the uh, the main delivery sort of in september there's always a, a sense of anticipation because yes there's obviously new new varieties amongst the, the you know the popular favorites as well but one thing it, it is important i suppose is to stress that trees these days are, are sort of a bit of a commodity people come to the garden center um and almost sort of in many ways sort of maybe impulsed by they've got an idea they've got a space to fill in the garden i had a customer literally over this weekend who wanted just wanted to grow some lovely uh, oak trees so they'd seen this new variety called green pillar and um yeah it fitted their 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 situation and they bought you know two two trees which they could actually fit in their their car which is obviously quite an important consideration when you buy something from a garden center uh which is not not too big so is that another consideration on on the growing side of your 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 container trees the the size and the training of them Yes, very much so. We're very aware of exactly what you said, that people need to be able to take them home 
uh, fairly conveniently in cars. So uh, you're probably very skillful at putting a large tree in a small car. I think mm-hmm. that's one of your great skills. But we, we have to bear that in mind. Transport, um, the age of tree mustn't be too old, not too big. Uh, for practical reasons for getting it to people in gardens. So we are a little bit limited on on age and size to what we produce. But with careful um, training and pruning and summer pruning in the nursery here, we can we can try, we generally contain trees to under two meters um, and across the whole range of fruit and ornamental tra- uh, trees. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going on to a slightly different subject, Nick. Um, the Obviously, we're seeing the effects of climate change, obviously, with what's been going on in the, the big world out there. Um, how's that sort of impacting on, on, on the nursery? How are you finding that, uh, uh, whether it's the plants you're growing? Um, less the plants, more the trees that we're growing, more so how we are growing it and what the threat and threats are to um, our growing cycle. We happen to live on a river here. It gives us great benefit, but occasionally it bites us back. Mm. And we've had more floods in recent times, um, which have have threatened parts of the nursery because of where we are. Uh, But we accept that. Um, In terms of what we grow, uh, it's a good question. Little has changed. I think it's, I was looking, funny enough, the other day at what we're, our catalogue now to what it might have been 20, 25 years ago. And there is very little change in genera and species that we're offering because we are essentially growing hardy nursery stock. And it's, it, it's hardy for a, for a purpose. We do delve a little bit into m- more tender trees, occasionally things like albizias, acacias, uh, which are, are lovely um, tropical-type looking trees. But essentially, they come from parts of the world which have relatively cold winters, or well, certainly part of the winter is relatively cold. We're affected more by seasonal frosts, late frosts, but that can affect fruit trees on the flower. Um, but if you ask me, you know, I, hopefully I've answered that question. Mm, and that not a lot has changed no. in terms of what we offer yeah. and the hardness rating of them because we, we are not, um, if you, let me give you a great example of this. If, yeah. if anyone walks around arboretums in this country, they're full of a huge range of genera and species of trees and shrubs from all over the world. In fact, our gardens are, uh, certainly from an ornamental perspective, um, derived f- uh, up to 50% from plants that have come from China and in that area of the world and North America. So we're, we're very much glued to um, the plants that have come from that region, which have uh, a very, very um, uh, cold winters, so we're not affected too much by by climate change. No, no, no. It's, that's really good. It puts a complete uh, perspective on that uh, point, uh, Nick. Mm. Um, on on the other side of this, and when I was talking about climate change as well, I was thinking about obviously the the peat issue, which is obviously um, bombarding the whole gardening trade at the moment. And we were just, I was just wondering how the the nursery was going to be looking at this, you know, in the in the eyes of the the peat free issue which is obviously overhanging the the horticultural trade at the moment 
Yes, it is. I, uh, from us, well, there's two two aspects here. One is um, we should be, and it shouldn't cost anyone to reduce the use of peat in gardens as a product for mulching and so on. Um, I think everyone would probably agree that's not fundamentally necessary. You can produce organic matter with other materials for gardens. So, um, but from a production perspective, there is a, uh, a minority of plants that, that do require uh, a, a particular type of medium to grow successfully high quality, good plants for people to grow, to take home. And this would be mostly the ericaceous subjects. Um, we don't grow a lot of ericaceous trees required in this, in this nursery. And 95% of our compost is peat free. So we're on we're on bark and other materials, a uh, little bit, and some coir. Uh, but coir also has an in, environmental impact. So we have to be a little bit careful what we use in all regards to to um, mediums. But uh, my only appeal would be that to that specialist propagators and growers who only require a very small amount of peat in the bigger picture should be allowed perhaps to do that under a license so that their their livelihoods are not threatened. Mm. But I think the majority of, of, of the volumes of, of what's peat that's been used in the past could quite easily be phased out. I don't think that is a, is a problem. And it's, maybe this is good news to hear that. Yes, most most definitely, yes. And of course, we've got to look at uh, across the water to our uh, European growers as well to see how they're going to uh, take the initiatives in this uh, new peat-free world we're, we're expected to, to adapt to. So it's all good. Um, on, the, yeah. on the aspect, Nick, of, of choosing trees for, for the garden, um, obviously uh, one thing which uh, obviously uh, Frank P. Matthews is well known for is, uh, is labelling and giving really good instructive information. Um, but when it comes to choosing garden trees, have you any particular sort of hints and tips to to help our uh, our podcast uh, listeners uh, on on that journey? Well, yes. Without sort of mentioning specifics, one of the very important aspects of choosing a tree is is to match it with your soil type. Too often we forget about how important the soil is. We look at obviously what we what we like in terms of plant material, what we might fancy, but it's important that we're aware of your basic soil. Is it alkaline, acid? Is it well drained? Do you have um, drainage issues? Um, and one of the tips I often say is, well, have a look over the hedge. Walk around your area, see what thrives, have a word with the neighbours. If you've just moved into a new house, talk to people that have lived there for some years about and their gardens and what suits and so on. You'll get a very good idea. I think the conclusion will be that there is a huge range of plant material that would be suitable for most gardens, but you just have to think a little bit about the soil. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. That's really, really good advice, uh, Nico. Um, probably those people who are buying houses now with much smaller plots. I mean, this is the biggest question we sort of get asked at the garden centre these days. Is obviously um, small gardens, small plots, but the people still want to grow a tree. Any thoughts? Any um, mm. recommendations there? Well, yes, I think if 
what I would say, firstly, is that in any garden, if you can mix edibles with ornamentals together, you'll have a, an enriched plant material that will satisfy you all through the year. So I don't think you can do one or t'other, uh, or necessarily to choose one over the other. But if you could mix both, even if they're uh, shrubby soft fruit plants or dwarf uh, aces, um, you can. There's there's a way of mixing and matching even in the smallest space. Some very some really quite beautiful and functional plants. So, first of all, I would try and keep space and have an open mind about mix, mixing both those two types, uh, for, especially for the family, um, grow your own trends and so on. You always want to leave a little space for some edibles. That's That would be a good thing. When it comes to tree size, you have to be careful. It's very possible that small trees can be grown as shrubs with careful pruning and training and, and reverse. Shrubs could be turned into little trees if they're uh, lower branches are removed, so you can plant other plant material under underneath. And you really want to have light canopy uh, trees and shrubs in small gardens, and then you, you don't have too much shading. Uh, dwarf conifers, I think, are coming a little bit more back into fashion. I think they offer um, a nice contrast, uh, certainly for, for the winter. And the use of uh, dwarf rootstocks for for trees, uh, fruit trees, uh, the training of trees. If you can uh, adapt the spur pruning techniques on fruit trees, you can put a lot of different varieties into a small space, and it's it's worth exploring that avenue. But uh, I think there's we have such a wonderful plant um, range to choose from. Uh, it could can be possible to be very creative and have a lot of different um, plants represented in your garden, even in a, in a small space. Yeah, most definitely. I think what you're saying about sort of keeping um, shrubs into to smaller trees is probably sometimes the way to go. I mean, certainly coppicing and reducing back trees seems to work. Yeah. Uh, things like amelanchias, I know, are very popular with our, our customers, and, and obviously they lend themselves to, to being sort of hacked back and, and, and nicely creating a, a good shaped tree, which for, for the small garden is perfect. Um, when it comes to spring yeah. interest, Nick, I mean, obviously we tend to always think mm. about obviously flowering cherries, but um, what, what's your thoughts on, on, on good doers for the the springtime in, in gardens? Um, well, you mentioned Amelanchia. I think it's a lovely ornamental tree. Some of them have a bit of fruit as well, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, they're, they're related to the Saskatoon family. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned Prunus. Prunus is a wonderful range of flowering, spring flowering trees, which spreads over up to five months. Some of the earliest flowering um, Prunus, which includes the almond family, the apricot family, and the Fuji cherries, which flower early in the spring, which are very, very low-growing, small um, flowering uh, flowering cherries. So you needn't plant necessarily the big Japanese uh, flowering cherries. You can you can you can go for the Prunus incisor types, which give you a much smaller tree, with, and they have wonderful impact with flower. But if you look at Prunus, just if you just took one range, I would say look at, look at the Prunus family and also look at the Malus family, uh, the crab apples. They are 
wonderful and worthy trees that give you flower some now interesting foliage and fruit in the in the autumn as well but you can you can combine prunus and malus very well in in and in, in gardens and the prunus will precede and uh, flower after the malus and the malus flower over about a month where prunus will overlap either side of the malus uh, flowering season so those two i would certainly concentrate on oh good good uh, good selections there um when it comes to uh, I was saying about uh, the, the smaller garden issue but screening putting something to to sort of block the view out of a you know an unwanted uh, view from a window is the, the perennial mm. question and um i mean certainly the garden center here we, we do sort of um normally mention betulas good old um, birch normally one of the one of the himalayan varieties just to keep it looking good through the winter but uh, again any any thoughts on on, on recommendations uh, for, for that location yes i think you're you're right to point out something like birch we're obviously very aware of um the problems with planting evergreen hedges uh it can start, it can create a lot of bad feeling between neighbors it can block out a lot of sunlight um, they are an issue which has to be carefully considered. You can mix evergreen and deciduous, so you get a more filtering effect for shelter and you're letting in a lot more light. But birch are good um, in that regard. Uh, and birch support up to 300 species of insects on that one tree alone. If you think about the, the environmental um, benefits of having a mixture of deciduous and coniferous where birds can shelter and so on. So you've got to be a little bit more imagine, imaginative. Um, hornbeam are very good and they come in fairly upright shapes and they hold on to their leaves for a considerable time, well into sort of midwinter. So think think about hornbeam a little bit. They're, they're not uh, flowering trees, but they're very uh, neat and tidy and they're they have shape, and and that and shapes are important in in gardens as well. Yeah, most. I often think pine pine trees are under underutilized um, rather than the sort of um, Leyland type and, and Lawsonian cypress. Pine trees have more filtering. You can take remove branches of pine trees so you can let light coming through them. So as long as you take the whole branches back to the main stem and do that periodically, you can create a more topiary effect on, on pines and they will, they will mix in nicely with, with birch and, and, and uh, hornbeam. Yeah, oh, really good decision. I didn't think about uh, the, the pines there, so no, that's, a, that's a good good one to, mm. to think over. Um, obviously, you're, you're producing many new, new plants all coming out through the, through the gardening trade, and I always used to look forward to, obviously, in the, the gardening trade, we have a, a big show in, in June normally. Uh, obviously, through the pandemic, it's uh, obviously been curtailed, but the, the HTA uh, introduced a, a competition for, for new plants, and I know that uh, trees obviously feature... Uh, heavily in that and i know you've, you've picked up a few awards over the over the years of uh, of those so mm. on when it comes to the you know some newly introduced trees is there any you'd like to sort of give a, a bit of a shout out um at, at this time yes some 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 i'll mention a few uh one or two that have been quite really quite recent but we mustn't forget new ones which have actually proved their worth 
as well over the last few years. One of the one, one uh, well, two Malus varieties I would suggest would be Scarlet, which we introduced about 10, 15 years ago, and more recently one called Aros, which is a very slim, um, slow-growing fastigia tree with amazing, uh, almost black uh, trilobe leaves, uh, lovely uh, pink, uh, two-tone pink and white flowers with fruit, and scarlet, which preceded it. They're both of the Turingo species. Um, that's got a lovely autumn color. It's a conventional habit, um, but not, not too vigorous. Um, and they provide all seasonal interest. More recently, um, we've introduced um, in the prunus side, actually in the last 10, 15 years, I would think chocolate ice, uh, which is a new Japanese cherry from, actually came into the country originally in the 90s, but it takes a while for these things to become established. Chocolate ice is dynamic in its um, leaf and flower contrast. Uh, one tree that's done incredibly well, which is good value, is uh, Prunus roll burgundy. Chris, I'm sure you stock that. It's a lovely one, um, yes. It's, it, it's a wonderful autumn color this year. I don't know whether you've noticed in the last few days. It's been absolutely stunning. Um, more recently, this year, we introduced a Circus called Eternal Flame. Circes uh, is the uh, from North America. We've had a lot of good ones come through uh, into the garden in trade for uh, the last 20 years. It started with uh, forest pansy, and we've we've got a myriad of different uh, leaf colours uh, and flowers, from white flowers through to intense pink of the Avondale types. But this eternal flame, which won um, the best. Uh, new plant in Chelsea this last September is an extraordinary uh, tree. Uh, its leaf is two or three toned throughout the summer and it never changes. It just looks like, it's beautifully named actually, Eternal Flame, um, but it's, it's quite dynamic. The, the foliage is just stunning. And, and cerces can be pruned hard. Most people don't. They think they're too delicate, but actually they can be pruned so you can contain them. Uh, and I think that would be one for the, certainly for the future. Yeah, I've, I've seen some pictures of the, the cerces uh, eternal flame, and a lot of people were saying, oh, this could be a really good tree maybe for, for growing in containers where people want that, that real good look of a, a, a small garden tree. Would, would you agree with me mm -hmm. containerizing it with, as, as a larger potted plant? Oh yes, no problem at all. The, the, the principle of pot growing is, is you, there's just some fundamental principles you need to be care, care of. One is the pot size needs to be increased every few years mm -hmm. to keep the, the root system developing. Um, you've got to obviously water often uh, and you, you've got a bit of just extra TLC for anything that's that's in a in a pot, but it doesn't start. No, I think it's uh, with care. Um, a, a tree like um, Eternal Flame could remain um, in a pot, increasingly in size over 20, 25 years. I've got funny enough. I've got a Malus Red Sentinel. I've had in a pot for thirty years. Oh wow! It flowers and fruits every single year. 
and it's not any larger than about one and a half meters. Right. Okay. So there, the, the proof, as I say, is in in the in the pudding, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's that's good. To it know. is. Yeah. It is indeed. Yeah. 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 Another good tree to um, mention is one we introduced this year, which is Magnolia Eileen Baines. It's a double-flowered form of the Wilsonii, which is um, a summer flowering, as some people will know, uh, with a beautiful scent. So it's got the scent of Wilsonii, but the flower is a double uh, form. Now, that's quite rare. I think that's something to, to worth mentioning. Mm. And we mustn't forget fruit. No. Fruit, fruit, fruit varieties are becoming extremely interesting. Uh, the, the one apple I would, well, two apples I would say we've introduced recently, which are worth eating for their beautiful flavor, is Christmas pippin and Herefordshire russet. Those are two very fine garden apples, which anybody would take a fancy to. Um, there are some interesting, um, what we call cross hybrids, uh, one of which is a Mirabelle called Aprimira, and that is a cross between an apricot and a, mirab and a mirabelle. Uh, so, um, sorry, an, an apricot and a plum, and that's uh, um, called Aprimira. Uh, that's a, a special flavour, tastes like tangerines. So, yes, there's mm. always some good, good new stuff, indeed. Oh, good, they, good new uh, varieties for everybody. They do sound exciting, certainly the uh, the Mirabelle um, fruitings there. Um, on the, the the prospects of somebody, obviously, we're at the time of the year when you know tree planting is uh, is is sort of rife across the, the whole country, especially we're thinking about National Tree Planting Week shortly. Um, any advice on to give to somebody who's never planted a tree in the garden? Oh, just go out and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I no. think if you if you if you're worried or uh, concerned or nervous, it's just put all those fears to one side and and go and plant a tree. It's a, it's the most satisfying um, experience, and the most important thing is to go back and look after it. Yes, well, that's, that leads on to my next question. Yes, what? The, yeah, the care, the aftercare. I suppose is yeah. As long as you you put them into some reasonably good soil and um, you've given the plants some a bit mm. of, a bit of nutrient. What's your feeling about putting you know feed in and uh, planting the, the planting situation? Is it is it something you would recommend? Yes, yes, of course. I think if you're on very good soil, you generally don't need to add very much else to it. The two main principles here are water and weeds. One you have to give a lot of, which is the water, of course, and the weeds you've got to remove from the tree for several years. And grass, which I consider a weed to trees, is one of the most, um, uh, I think it's one of the most um, biggest problems for the establishment of trees. Grass absorbs huge amounts of water. It takes competition from developing the young roots of uh, developing trees. And after three or four years, they're fine. But it's that first three or four years you need to keep around the tree, underneath. You can plant other plants, obviously, but keep grass and weeds away from the tree. That's so important for, to getting them established. Once they're up and running, you can ignore, or ignore that after a few year, two or three years. The trees will be fine. They will look after themselves. On on that uh, sort of principle, Nick. What about sort of annual care? What would you sort of you recommend doing to to your newly planted tree once a year? Would it would be a, a feed or 
uh, a bit of bit of sort of trimming or pruning? What, what's your your sort of go to activity? Yeah, so, uh, yes, a few things. If it's staked and tied, then you must actually go back and loosen the tie periodically. I so many trees I've seen that have been staked and tied with with good intent initially. You go back a few years and the ties are strangling the trees. So that's number one. You can remove branches, the lower branches certainly, and and thin out very thick canopies. That can be done in a timely. We'll get onto that in a moment. Um, and keep the tree mulched. As I said, you've got to keep the weeds and grass away. But mulching helps, uh, and to maintain that mulch uh, for certainly for the first two or three years, main, keeps all the moisture in the soil. This will reduce your washing dramatically, but mulching is, is extremely important. And your, your favourite mulching material, if you had to, to choose? Oh, I would use anything that is cheap, environmentally friendly, as long as it's well composted. Mm-hmm. If you use bark, which is, which is probably a mistake, anything that's woody, that's got a lot of cellulose in, it, in the material, will take a long time to break down. That process takes energy, bacterial activity, and nitrogen from the soil and depletes the, the, um, the, the use of this for the tree. So use a well-composted material as, to, as, as opposed to an uncomposted material. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good stuff there. So on, on the basis of, of your, your growing your, your new tree, um, any necessary tips on, on pruning, keeping your, your trees in, in the best sort of shape? Yes, I think in generally I find that people don't prune enough. Um, it's mostly fear uh, and perhaps a, a, a slight lack of, of information that they need to, to encourage them to prune. Pruning in, is in, what it, pruning does is that it encourages fresh growth it enhances the characteristics of trees and shrubs. So the leaves are bigger. The autumn color is better if it's an autumn um, featured plant. Uh, you get larger flowers. You get less pest and disease because the canopy of the tree is more airy. And uh, trees and shrubs are generally much healthier if they are pruned regularly. You don't have to do it every year occasionally just need to take some branches out but don't hesitate you will never kill a tree or shrub by pruning it's it's and do more than you think and don't don't worry about it at all but there are some golden rules one is you should always prune in the dry weather so you if you've got um for 24 maybe hopefully up to 48 hours of dry weather ahead of you that is a good time to do pruning because fresh cuts will heal, put a natural seal on themselves after about 24 hours. Up to that point, if you're pruning and it rains and the spores flying around, you can get a little bit more infection coming onto uh, the pruning points. So dry weather is is very very important. Lovely. On the uh, the aspect of you mentioned before about the use of using uh, fruiting plants in the garden, how important to get that mix. In, in certain, certainly in smaller plots, but do you have any sort of fruiting rep- recommendations, Nick, for for smaller gardens where where space is perhaps a, a bit of a premium? Uh, yes, I'd probably go for uh, dwarf apples. Uh, apples are very forgiving; uh, they're re- very rewarding. 
they're, they're robust trees, and because of the dwarf rootstocks, we can keep them small. I would also consider something like the Saskatoons or the Juneberries. This is the Amelanchia family, actually, which is the fruiting Amelanchias. Um, they are just like blueberries. Uh, the flavor is just as good and similar. And um, the, the important things with those is that they don't need acid soil. So the Saskatoons or Jumeries, they're the Amelanchia ornifolia species. They are uh, very robust trees and will, can grow in any, any soil conditions. So I'd certainly consider that. Um, if you're in a frost pocket, I'd probably um, consider, I'd, I'd probably just stick to apples and later flowering fruit trees and avoid the. Um, the peaches and the apricots, which flower very, very early, and the almond family, uh, that, they're the ones to avoid if you're, if you're in a frost area. Um, but very often you can get caught by late frosts and the, where the early frosts don't appear and you can get a set. So the blossom is only ever vulnerable when it's open as blossom. As soon as it's set fruitlets, it then becomes more resistant to frosts that, that follow afterwards so it's not always just one golden rule perfect yes yeah and certainly this this spring we were we had obviously a very cold april which i think did hit a lot of a lot of fruit um but hopefully those peaches and nectarines uh, avoided it uh, nick we we must talk about your your book uh trees for, for your garden i mean it's our literally our go-to reference book here at the uh, the garden center in our plant office um can you tell me a little bit of the inspiration behind it um, yes, I think it was uh, possibly a lack of appreciation of a wide range of uh, trees that were are possible to plant in the garden that inspired me. That the, there wasn't sufficient information or a reference, an easy reference to look at, one, how to choose a tree, and secondly, from what range you could choose it from. So the book was written for people who do not know anything about trees. They don't have time in their lives, and they just wanted a, a, an easy, easy reference. And it's all done on symbols, as you know in the book. There's, there's a symbol for every type of situation and characteristic, be it native-friendly or bird-friendly or suitable for acid soils and so on. So you don't have to trawl through huge amounts of information to be able to identify a tree that is, is perfect for your garden and your garden situation. But um, yeah, it's been uh, well received. It's been well received for certain. Yeah, well, as I say, it's, it's so useful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so useful and so so practical. I think that's what people want from a, from a gardening book these days. But no, that's great. Obviously, we're... We're coming into um, National Tree Planting Week towards the end of November into early December. And, of course, it's that big celebration of uh, tree planting. Um, what do you think? Do you think the actual whole campaign of, you know, Plant a Tree Week has still got its, its credence these days, Nick, as, as, a, as an event? Or do you think it's perhaps lost its sort of uh, attraction as we are obviously these days sort of promoting tree planting through much of the, the autumn and the winter? Mm, yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's lost its um, its well-intentioned um, uh, 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 promotion of trees. Uh, it's just a, a one week in the year. 
we're, we're, we're all focused on it perhaps more than at any other time, but it's, it's done, a, it's, it's served its purpose. There are many initiatives right now on planting trees. So perhaps it's slightly overshadowed, but we mustn't forget what it, what, how important it's been in the past to set up people's thinking just for, for one week of the year and so on. So no, I think it still has a, it's a, a, a good use and um, there are plenty of threats for, um, for, tr for as you said on um, tree diseases and, and so on so any initiative is a good one Indeed. so no I, I think it's still still got its place for sure good 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 um nick when we, we we're chatting to our podcast guests we we like to, to put you under the spotlight a bit and we and in, as you probably know, the question I, I'm begging here is if you've been shipwrecked on your, your virtual desert island <laughs> and you were just given one tree to plant, what would you grow? <laughs> well, um, yes, I've, it, this is a good searching question. I would plant a fruit tree because it provides me with food when I'm sitting on that desert island. I wouldn't waste the opportunity of having a tree that produced fruit as well as shade. Shade would be important. And um, I would, I would, I've been thinking it's either an apple or a black mulberry. I think I'll go for a black mulberry because it's a challenging tree at the best of times for, for picking the, the fruit. So, but I'd have all the time in the world. So mm, I, I would be quite, quite happy to be sitting under a, a mulberry tree um in enjoying the fruits of the of the canopy yeah yeah i can i can pitch you there now uh, oh nick it's been <laughs> <laughs> great oh you, nick it's been great for your time today and your, your insights and observations for our podcast it's been fascinating and i think one thing we've learned over the years is that legacy and sort of trees go hand in hand and, and don't they say that we, the, the best time to plant a tree is about 20 years ago yes yeah yes. and i think that's more that's more mm. pertinent than than ever so uh so now more than ever we perhaps need to sort of focus on the important life but sort of trees are providing to our very ever fragile planet and uh, obviously the likes of yourselves and your, your wonderful work at frank p matthews you're obviously making that little process somewhat easier for for us gardeners thanks nick uh, for, for your time today no, not at all. Can I just say one last thing? Of course. Just to read you a little bit of part of a poem about trees, which I always thought was, was uh, quite nice and may, may interest your viewers. Um, it's, 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 it's Richard, um, it was written, I put part of it in my, my book, actually. It's about say, said the tree to the man and said the man to the tree. And said the tree to the man, there has always music for you in my leaves, beauty in my changing colors, nourishment in my fruits, with trees around, no man is comfortless. And secondly, said the man to the tree, I will spare you the light and space that you need, and I will secure that when you are old, another generation will replace you. Oh, that's lovely. Yes, yeah, that's very pertinent, okay. isn't it? Oh, and, no, we do like a little bit of poetry yeah. on our, our Dig It podcast, so that's that's lovely. Thank that was, you. That was by Elizabeth Darling. That was written by Elizabeth Darling, the, the, 
the uh, author should be known. Oh yeah. yes, most definitely. No, that's that's really good. Oh well, we, you, I think that's that's put us into a really good mindset for uh, for our tree plantings this this autumn. And uh, Nick, thank you once again for your time today. Not at all. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Th- thank you, Nick. Well, that was a very interesting conversation, wasn't it, Chris? Wasn't it just? Oh, he's, uh, Nick certainly, um, well, he knows his trees, but he, know, he, he knows how to grow them. And I think that get, you get a great insight on, on the commercial side of things as well, because uh, we sort of take it for granted. You know, trees arrive at garden centres and nurseries, but they have to come from somewhere. They do, don't they? And I, I never really thought about the idea of using rootstocks to sort of graft different types of trees onto. Mm. Is, is that quite common? I mean, if you... What, what sort of trees was he referring to there? Yep, so it would be things like your, your, your cherry trees, um, your, your malice, your crab yep. apples, because uh, obviously they need to be on a... Some some varieties would need to be on a more vigorous rootstock to okay. encourage the, the la- more lacklustre variety like okay. we do with, with apple trees. So it's a good way of manipulating. But uh, yeah, things like um, uh, some of the sorbus varieties, the mountain ash, they would be would be grafted. Okay. And then, of course, things like the, the aces, the um, uh, things like Acer brilliantissimum, that lovely uh, sort of flamingo pink flowered variety we're getting. That's what they call top grafted. So you have a long stem of, of rootstock effectively where it's actually then grafted with that, usually that waxing at the, yeah, the top yeah. of the plant as well. And of course, willows, of course, are all uh, some of the decorative willows like the um, the Kilmarnock willow that would be would be grafted too. Makes sense. It's, it's essential to to keep the plants nicely. Uh, well, to, to in, implore their vigour and sometimes keep them a little bit more restricted too. Yeah, because I suppose you can do like you say, sort of either put them onto a rootstock a rootstock that restricts them, or put them onto a rootstock that gives them even more vigour. So if it's a smaller plant it then grows even bigger and better yeah Yeah. i suppose thinking about you know japanese maple trees which we sell a lot of which obviously are more specific to ericaceous soil which you might not put in your garden they're obviously obviously grafted too so they generally have those wonderful pink and red and amazing colored leaves but if you think about it not 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 a lot of chlorophyll to support the growth so they need to be on a nice vigorous rootstock to to support that growth okay so chris um just Thinking a bit laterally here, can I ask a silly question? Of course you can. <laughs> Is it possible to graft a ericaceous plant onto a lime-tolerant rootstock? It is, and it has been done, and it is being done as we speak. Um, okay. So there is a rhododendron which uh, gardeners can buy called the Incara rhododendron. Yep, I've seen them. Yep, um, and they're usually nice and compact, so good for smaller gardens. Um, yep. Usually a good colour range. However, they were found, uh, the Incara rootstock was found in Germany, and it was on a very limey uh, quarry, which, of course, you wouldn't expect a rhododendron to be growing on. Not of course. on a lime quarry, no. no. <laughs> um, it was in that area. So what they, the, um, the German growers did, they, they took the plants back to a nursery, they propagated the, the plants on. Right. They did a bit of good old micropropagation to, to bulk up the, uh, the stock. Yep. And then they basically grafted varieties of rhododendrons which are acid-loving onto a rootstock which was tolerant of lime. Wow, that's and quite clever, isn't that it? that happened probably about 20, maybe 25 years ago. I remember the new story breaking, so it was probably in the, the, the late 80s, early 90s. And the, 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 the sort of key thing was that this is going to revolutionise the way you can grow rhododendrons. It means everybody now can grow a rhododendron in their, their, um, their soil. 
without um, having to plant it in a, a, a big dustbin or something like that. <laughs> Indeed, so, yeah. That's um, really cool. And they, they, they are popular. And we, yeah, certainly you'll find those uh, in Cara rhododendrons, named varieties. Um, they've got a big label. They've got quite. They're nicely branded, so you, you yep. can't miss them. Usually coloured pots as well. Although I suspect they'll probably go to tort pots because of the Hopefully, in, yep. environmental now. More uh, recyclable, indeed, with uh, with the logo. And uh, they're usually available in the spring, so it's something to look out for if you're wanting something uh, to give that rhododendron look in your uh, in your your clay um, alkaline soils. Excellent. Obviously, all this talk of trees, Chris. Mm. Have you got a favourite tree? Yeah, I, it's a difficult question. I mean, I, when I posed the question for us both to, to answer, I thought, actually, this is not such an easy one, isn't it? But I think my favourite at this time of the year um, is the uh, is is the birch tree. Um, okay. I've got two in my garden. I've got a, a, a white-stemmed birch, which is a youngster, and I've right. got uh, the pendulous, the youngie eye uh, birch, which is the weeping birch. The weeping birch has been in now 20 years, exactly, as I've been in the house that long, and it's mature. It doesn't grow any taller. Yeah, because they don't get too enormous, but no. they have they do have a lovely shape, don't they? And in the winter, you get to see all the bark. and yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are really beautiful trees, and uh, I can see where you like yeah. that one. Architecturally, yes, now the leaves have dropped, it looks really good. And uh, it's great because the, the local bird life used to use, use it as a perch. Okay. As well, so I often have a, a interesting conversations from my bedroom window with the local pigeons, as they <laughs> tend to to go there. And one year they did try and build a nest right at the top of this this, this tree, which is absolutely manic, and it didn't last very long. Unfortunately. I was going to say they're quite dainty trees, aren't they? They, they are. They're, they're quite strong, but they always look very delicate and yeah. um, sort yeah. of not quite suitable for a big old pigeon's nest. No, no. But for, for smaller gardens, they're great. And if you want to diffuse, like Nick was saying about diffusing. Um, visions of, of screening in your garden yep. they're really good for that as well so um if you've got a you know if you've got a, a slightly nosy neighbor or a prying eyes uh, a birch a, a pendulous birch in your garden something that's probably 30 40 foot away from your house i would say yeah you would be absolutely fine i wouldn't plant it any closer than that and the good thing as well it has quite a nice attractive bark as well it's not white like the the, the himalayan birch but it's it's quite attractive and it's got those lovely catkins as well so uh, that's that would be my uh, good old desert island. That's your desert island tree, is it? Yes. And uh, for, for all the hopefully for, for environmental reasons, and also the fact it's a very practical tree too. Excellent. And and yours, Peter. <sighs> mm, like you, Chris, I, I had a similar <laughs> dilemma here. I, I, I was thinking about this this morning, and it, it's like there's, I mean, there's just so many different types of tree, aren't mm. there? I mean, you've got the conifers, which um, a nice blue spruce mm. or something like that. Very can, nice, yes really look nice and then you've got the sort of african trees with the lovely canopies that they create and mm. just sort of then the all the tropical palms and things like that which they're all just so diverse in shapes and forms but it's something my grandfather did that really amused me he as you may know he came from london mm. love growing things and they had a relatively small house and a small garden but he loved horse chestnut trees. Oh, right. So, obviously, horse chestnuts are not a small tree, are they? Uh, I mean, certainly not. The <laughs> <laughs> last time I looked. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he bonsaied a horse chestnut in his front garden and basically every year went round cutting the roots out and every you know, sort of couple of years he'd dig out half of the roots mm. and put new compost and new soil in yep. so the plant could grow out and 
made it. So it, it had a good um, space to grow into, but every year obviously got massively chopped, chopped back. And he managed to keep that to about 10, 15 foot and grew it for quite a few years. And then um, I don't know what happened to it when he moved out because I'm not entirely sure he told the people who bought the house that it was... That would be a <laughs> nice surprise gonna, in 20 yeah. years' time. <laughs> so yeah, it probably didn't last that much longer after he, he moved out. But I, I thought that's a wonderful mm. way to have a tree that would normally grow what 100 foot tall and keep it as Mm. a much much smaller specimen but obviously requires an awful lot more care and a lot more watering and a lot more nurturing but it can be done and uh, i thought that that's a good story to share with you all but with regards to my favorite tree i think i'm gonna pick a hawthorn okay just because when you see them as trees they're just so sort of gnarly and they're not that big they've got the lovely red berries and they flower in the spring um but yeah they're just a they're not a common tree you generally obviously find them in hedgerows so that would be my tree, a tree choice. of choice it's yeah. something a bit different it's a bit spiky but um, and it's it's native isn't it and that's that's a good thing to to encourage people to grow and of course um yeah it, it's it's going to tick all the boxes for wildlife too. So, yeah, and they, yeah. You know, they mm. don't have massive leaves, so they no. don't. They're not like some trees that are going to mm. fill your garden with leaves. And True. as Nick was saying, yeah, and you say they're they're a native tree and they do grow well in this country. Yeah. So good choice. I'm going to yeah. go with a hawthorn or a yeah. quickthorn. Perfect. So wasn't it great that Brazil have decided to jump the gun on the deforestation commitment and mm. have uh, said that they're creating a new national park and they're going to be trying to reverse deforestation from effectively today rather than waiting for a couple of years to do it yeah that's so good to hear i mean and and when you were watching all those reports from from glasgow wasn't it it was like well can't you start really today you know Mm. why does it have to be a 5 10 15 you know or a decades plan when obviously the the earth is in so much need of, of change to the best but uh, yeah I mean 2030 was the, the, the date they'd set hasn't it so if they yep. can be doing it a, a couple of years earlier than that that would be even even better that's it and I, I love this idea of sort of creating ribbons of mm. forest and natural uh, sort of space where the insects and birds and things can grow and uh, I, I heard of one recently a wildlife corridor from Leeds to Lincoln which mm. I, I think is a brilliant idea just sort of creating these um long connected chains of natural habitat so that everything can thrive and still grow because i know there's a lot of monoculture in this country and personally i can understand why farmers want to grow oilseed rape and Mm -hmm. not diversify because they can make a living at it just about but Mm. the idea of having these corridors to still keep the nature and the bugs and the bees and all of those sort of things giving them somewhere to live as well it's very important isn't it most definitely i was, I was watching a, a documentary last night uh, on the tv uh, looking at um, the lake district and they were showing mass deforestation of sicra spruce okay and uh, the um, the presenter um just said well this, this is terrible you know you're, you're removing all this but the reason is they are grown it is grown as a crop so they're actually manufacturing it for, for timber however the problem is in large areas especially in the lake district in derbyshire you've got monoculture trees planted yeah of course that is not good news if you get a, a a problem with a disease or a pest so it's all going to be replanted with a rich diverse 
biodiversity of trees. So instead of one species, there'll be probably a dozen. Yeah, which is a, uh, and yeah. it makes it. I always mm. think it looks nicer as well it if there's nothing else. Yeah. And the idea, I think that's one of the commitments that we must really try and strive towards with this um, new idea of everyone, sort of queen getting behind us all planting mm. trees and giving us a, a grants to do that. Mm. Is obviously Dutch elm disease, all of these diseases that have come in from abroad because we've been bringing trees in yep. it's very important to try and support our local tree growers and our native or our native tree growers because yep. obviously they're growing stock that hasn't got any of these pests and diseases so mm. that's something to bear in mind most definitely i think yeah, i think people like the forestry commission now are really looking and up in their ante as far as making sure that that happens and now we've got more bio um, biosecurity in this country we're yep. setting our own precedents rather than being sort of <laughs> slightly dictated to as we were in the in the previous uh, regime of, of, of um, pre-brexit pre, 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 pre yeah. that's the word um then they're all in a, we're in a different sort of situation now but yes the queen's green canopy campaign will will be good for next year and obviously the idea of that is to uh, basically uh, create a, a unique planting opportunities across the, the whole of the UK um, through 2022 under the, the Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee. So I think that in itself will produce a wonderful legacy, won't it, for, for years to come yeah, on the yeah. back of that as well. And, and the other thing I, I always think about when you're looking at, I know, Christmas trees, um, mm. they're a crop that is grown as a, a tree crop. Mm. And you think, well... It, that, that must be doing some good for the environment in the sense of it's creating nice spaces. But yeah, they are a bit of a monoculture. But then equally, I know at the garden centre here, we have a policy where we support a local charity, Ripple. Mm. And for every Christmas tree we sell, another tree is planted out in Africa. Yeah. And hopefully that helps reforestation in another continent. So not only do you buy a tree and effectively have another one planted by the Christmas tree grower, yeah. um, you're getting a, a little bit of a benefit in another country as well. That's certainly good for the good old carbon footprint. And as well, I suppose at the end of the day, people are now looking at their probably are their artificial Christmas trees in different light, perhaps because of that. And uh, well, I've not seen a recycled plastic Christmas no. tree yet. I, I well, hope we do get one soon. I mean, we're getting a lot of furniture now coming through. The that is made of recycled um, plastic. Mm. And I know there's uh, one brand that's all ocean plastic, which is a really good thing to do with it. So, yeah, hopefully in a few years' time we'll get recycled plastic trees. Even better, yes. So, Peter, it's worth giving a little reminder that uh, it's National Tree Planting Week uh, from the, the 27th of November through to the the 5th of December. Yeah, so yeah. out with your spades. Yeah, back it started back in 1972, uh, Tree Planting Week. Okay. And uh, I think the, the slogan was, plant some trees in 72, plant some more in 73. I think it had a little bit of a, a bit of a, a rhythm going on. Okay. But of course, it all Tree Planting Week started because, of course, the, the Dutch elm disease problems of the 1960s. And this was a, a, a real a good way of the gardening trade and everybody looking in and planting trees to replace the Dutch elm disease. So it's 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 pertinence and it's, it's heritage is very ingrained in, in that. So obviously we've got more issues with diseases these days. So yeah. long may it continue in, in some form or other. Well, that's it. And I think, like we were discussing earlier, 
trees aren't for mm. tomorrow they're for 10 years down the yeah, line aren't yeah. they it's, it's always lovely watching them grow but they do take <laughs> a, you, you know, a few years totally and you know what when you, when you go around any uh, you know a lot of the, the national trust properties especially anything uh, designed by you know capability brown yep remember he planted saplings and he never ever saw the results which we we, we so enjoy now when you walk across you know blenheim palace stowe gardens mm. you see those trees and you think my word that that was a visionary wasn't it uh, yeah, and that's exactly what we do when we plant our you know our humble trees in our gardens we're, we're having to be a bit uh, of a visionary um well, or, or you could look at it you're altruistic and you're yeah giving something to the future and i think that's that's so much better yes yeah a, a nice way to look at it indeed well, yeah it? yeah obviously in the middle of um, november now so mm. coming up soon what's going on in december so yeah december running up to the, that time of the year again uh, so we're going to be looking at sort of christmas trees obviously plenty of there will be a few tasks of the the month and we'll also be looking at uh, our links to a, a national charity and how that can impact the way we buy our christmas trees okay Brilliant. I look forward to that then, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Thanks, Chris. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.